You're tuning into the Real Estate Diversification Podcast, hosted by trusted and experienced real estate attorneys who are also seasoned real estate investors themselves. Are you ready to explore unique real estate investing opportunities? Ready to learn about emerging trends and new ideas? Your hosts will help you understand the practical and legal complexities of a myriad of real estate investments so that you can maximize your potential and achieve financial freedom. Now, listen in and get ready to learn. Get ready to learn. Welcome back, Red Podcast Nation. I'm your host, Jonathan Gilmore. And today we're going to be talking about single family development. So what do I mean when I say single family development? I'm referring to purchasing raw, platted, or finished lot land for the sole purpose of developing single family homes for sale to third party buyers. From land acquisition to building permits to marketing and sales, there are many steps involved in the process of single family development, each requiring the expertise of key personnel. Now, in this episode, we are going to explore various stages of development and roles that architects, land developers, analysts, attorneys, and other professionals play in bringing these single family development communities to life. The main focus areas I will be discussing in this podcast, well, those are related to land acquisition types, zoning and entitlement approval, due diligence, uh, home design, and construction. So my hope is that in future episodes or, or podcast episodes, I want to deep dive into some of the nuances related to land contract negotiation and key contractual items to be aware of when negotiating and uh, entering into land development contracts. So that said, let's dive in, all right? So... <clears throat> In the world of single-family development, there are different types of land that developers may encounter, uh, such as raw land. That's the first one. Uh, there's also platted and engineered land. And that's the second type, uh, or permitted engineered. It's, it depends on the jurisdiction. Uh, and then finally, there's finished lot land. So uh, just to kind of briefly discuss those three types, uh, raw land is undeveloped land that has not been subdivided or had any infrastructure improvements made yet. So this is this is farmland, you know, this is often family land where the family is ready to sell and kind of reap the rewards of the increase uh, of land value after generations of ownership. Um, you know, for example, uh, I recently uh, did a deal where I represented the seller um, in this instance. Uh, it was a family-owned land. They had been there for several generations. Uh, it was actually surrounded uh, by um, developed commercial and other residential uh, and retail land. Um, it was kind of almost like infill, like uh, um, farmland holdout land. So uh, the father had held on to it for a long time. It was time to sell uh, at a very high price to a local developer. And so um, that's what I mean by raw land. The local developer had to get it entitled and we'll, and we'll talk about this. So, and so there's some hurdles and triggers that needed to be met before even closing on the property. So, um, and ultimately that one did close. Platted and engineered land, on the other hand, this has already been divided into lots. And in some instances, uh, it's had some initial infrastructure or improvements made such as grading and utilities. So. This former raw land type has been through the zoning process uh, and the city has approved the development plans. In addition, 
the plat or map that details how the development will look upon completion of construction. The, the third type um, is uh, finished lot deals. Uh, this is finished lots are fully developed uh, and ready for construction uh, lots um, with all the necessary infrastructure in place. So again, this is fully zoned and entitled land. This has been platted and a developer or seller uh, has already completed grading horizontal construction. And I'm talking about roads, sewer, water, underground utilities. And each lot is ready for a buyer to come in and start and complete vertical construction of the homes. So lot ground up of the homes. So each type of land it presents different opportunities and challenges for developers uh, from the amount of work required to prepare the land for development to the potential uh, for customization and flexibility in building homes. I will talk more about structuring a deal as it relates to ensuring you uh, as the buyer, as the investor, uh, to ensure that the proper entitlement and zoning steps are complete prior to purchasing the land. Because honestly, failure to ensure this is the difference between buying zoned land, zoned land ready to build out or buying farmland that may not be approved for construction of this magnitude, in which case you've probably overpaid for farmland. <laughs> but let's first talk about zoning. So as I said earlier, Determining the zoning uh, and entitlement process or status of a property is critical for any developer looking to build single family housing. So just briefly, zoning regulations dictate what can be built on a particular piece of land while entitlement status refers to the approvals needed from local government agencies to move forward with the project. If you've listened to any other episodes of this podcast, you will realize that zoning entitlements are a big deal. Now on every transaction, but especially if you're buying raw uh, land. It's it's really key and really crucial. So identifying the jurisdiction where the land is located is equally important um, as different cities and counties may have their own unique regulations and requirements for development projects. By understanding zoning and entitlement status, as well as jurisdictional regulations, uh, developers and investors can ensure that their project is viable and legally compliant from the outset. So tying everything together so far, you know, a buyer has to determine what type of land they want to buy, where they want to buy it, the zoning and entitlement status of the land when they buy it, and the construction or the remaining construction that is left after the acquisition of the property. So getting to finish lot status so that a builder can start building homes is critical. Uh, to successfully acquire these lots, developers need to navigate a variety of requirements, including, most importantly, obtaining model home permits or or just building permits uh, for a home uh, and grading permits. So often for finished lots, a builder must be able to obtain a building permit in order to close on the land. That's often negotiated in, in these contracts. Before that stage, infrastructure requirements such as grading, paved access, sewer, water, stormwater, dry utilities, landscapings, and common areas must be met. Offsite improvements may also be necessary depending on the location of the lots. So offsite improvements, any improvements not on the property you're buying, right? So for instance, does the development need an access road to be completed in order for the city to issue building permits? Uh, if so, who is responsible for the completion of this construction? You, the seller, another builder? If there are multiple parties responsible, is a joint development agreement necessary? In other words, do you need an agreement that outlines the terms of who does the construction, when are there multiple parties 
uh, who hosts the surety uh, for this construction. This is a big deal and it's sometimes missed on the front end. So are you as buyer going to post surety on land that you're not developing? Um, oftentimes you don't want to do that uh, for several reasons, but a joint development agreement might lay out if you were to do that um, or who pays for the surety, who posts that surety with the jurisdiction so that it guarantees completion of the project. And in some instances that any damages or repairs to said project are going to be done in a timely manner. So my hope is to dive deeper into some of these items in later podcast episodes, but essentially uh, this is a good overview. Developers uh, must also consider issues such as special flood hazard zones, wetlands, or habitat issues. Uh, building permit limitations and jurisdictional or pacing issues for the issuance of building permits can also impact the acquisition process. What I mean by pacing is maybe the city um, says, we'll only issue 100 building permits in this development, and maybe you and other builders, right? Um, and before the 101st building permit is issued, a park has to be put in or a streamway or some other improvement that you may or may not have control over. So you need to make sure, hey, look, I got a building permit for this first house, which is my trigger to close under the contract. But am I going to be able to get the 50th building permit? So let's say you bought, you know, you need 50. If there's two other builders and they both need 50, who's finishing that park? So kind of got to make sure that that's uh, detailed and, and looked at on the front end. So um, as far as building permit uh, jurisdiction pacing issues, you know, one common recommendation I see is developers only buy lots for two to three years worth of inventory, um, and they can they can buy it bulk. So they buy you know their three years at one time. Let's say that's 150 lots, or um, if they want three years of inventory and they think they're only going to sell 50 lots per year, maybe they can negotiate a stage takedown with the seller. In other words, they buy 50 lots building permit ready um, in year one. And in year two, they buy the second 50, uh, depending on certain you know, triggers and mechanisms that are set forth in the contract. And then in year three, they do the same. So which is the completion of the takedown. So, and there are different product types. There are land baker options uh, that can also be considered and that's for another day. But ultimately the costs associated with these kind of requirements are typically paid for by the developer and identifying the right type of land and jurisdiction and some of these nuances are essential for a successful development project. Now, when contracting for a development deal, it's important to consider whether the purchase and sale agreement or the PSA uh, should require the issuance of approval of permits prior to closing. And as I mentioned earlier, what I'm talking about is if this is a finished lot deal, the buyer will not close on the deal until a building, until the lots are permit ready. In other words, there's nothing left to do except apply for a building permit and obtain it. In some instances, the city's already said, hey, look, you can, all you gotta do is pay this fee and then you'll get the building permit. And that might be the trigger to close. And there's no appeal air issues. Um, everything's past appeals. Uh, you're ready to buy. So that's oftentimes the trigger to closing. So it's like the last domino that needs to fall within a contract. This is important, you know, having a building permit or uh, a grading permit. You know, if it's not finished lots, you know, we the, the deal, the, the property needs to be grading permit ready. Um, and so that's kind of a different mechanism, but also similar as far as it's the last domino to fall. Now the property is ready to close, right? This is important. It can protect both the buyer and the seller from potential issues that may arise if permits are not obtained or approved in a timely manner. 
buyer doesn't want to buy a property they can't build on, right? It needs to be build ready uh, if it's finished lot deal, if it's grading permit ready, if it's, you know, platinum engineered in some instances. So by including this requirement and agreement, the buyer can ensure that they will not be responsible for any outstanding permit issues. And the seller can be assured that the sale will not be delayed due to a permit related problem. So it's important to work with a knowledgeable real estate attorney um, to ensure that any necessary permit requirements are included in the PSA. Another matter that we would like to discuss today is due diligence. So let's, let's talk about due diligence. This is a major component to real estate development and just property acquisition in general. Uh, any deal, um, develop properties, mobile home parks, multifamily, uh, commercial real estate. The due diligence process um, oftentimes is one of the most key important. That's when you get to kind of roll up your sleeves and see see what's what's real, uh, what the land's going, what it is, what it entails. Um, and I just cannot underestimate the importance of conducting proper due diligence. Um, so due diligence, what is it? It involves a thorough investigation of the property's physical, environmental, legal, and financial characteristics. By conducting thorough due diligence, developers can identify potential risks and costs associated with the project and then make informed decisions about whether to move forward with the acquisition and development or terminate the contract. It's important to invest the time and resources necessary to conduct a comprehensive due diligence process to maximize the likelihood of unforeseen challenges and maximize the potential for success. So, you know, as some examples, it's essential to obtain a survey, uh, engineering, soils reports, phase one environmental assessments, um, and uh, other reports in order to determine the feasibility and potential cost of the project. So some of the professionals that you need involved there, engineers uh, for surveys, for engineering reports, maybe a, a consulting firm for soils reports. Sometimes it's a one-stop shop that does all of this, right? Um, and then you might have on your team a due diligence acquisition specialist that knows uh, what's required in this jurisdiction and, and what's re required just in the general timing of the due diligence process. So for example, we talked about an alpha survey. You're going to want a tabled office survey to show where there might be, for example, any encroachments. If there's a reciprocal easement on the property, you want to know where that's located and, and make sure it's not blanket and could impact your development. You know, in addition to any other items that are referenced on the title commitment issued by the title company after you go under contract. Additionally, biological and cultural observations and reports, floodplain and wetland analysis, noise assessments and land development costs must be considered. So for example, are there native remains in the area? If so, you need to work with a specialist and in some instances, the federal government as to how to treat this specific uh, unique area. Another example uh, is, is there an eagle's nest, a bald eagle's nest nearby? Is it occupied? Are, is, are, is an eagle nesting? Are there eggs in the nest? If so, you might need to halt development or limit development to the off season, uh, the nesting season. Um, you want to make sure that the land is not located in the flood zone, or at least your lots. You might need to work with your contractor or FEMA to determine whether <clears throat> you need a map revision, a letter of map revision, uh, to ensure, quite frankly, that your home buyers are not spending crazy amounts of money on flood insurance. Now, in some jurisdictions, you don't want any of the property to be in the flood zone, uh, any, anything other than flood zone X. Um, in other jurisdictions, like, for instance, Florida, where the water table is one foot below the the, the soil. <laughs> maybe just the lots need to be out. Um, and maybe that's the, the requirement or not the requirement for needing flood insurance because flood insurance can be very expensive. 
Um, and it can also lead to problems, lawsuits for the developer in some circumstances if there's not proper disclosure. A homeowner might buy a home not realizing they're in the flood zone and you know they might have to spend $3,000 a year just on a flood insurance premium. So you wanna make sure you avoid that at all costs or at the very least disclose that to your home buyers in the proper manner pursuant to that jurisdiction and where you're buying the property. So other critical, critical aspects um, of due diligence include examining building permit fees, certificate of occupancy fees, uh, use tax, impact fees, utility providers, and will serve letters. Uh, that's where, you know, the power company says, we will serve this area. You know, you want to make sure you have utilities. Sometimes it gets missed. Sometimes it becomes an issue, say, with cable companies. Uh, you want to make sure there's, is there going to be a home, homeowners association? Are there going to be a dues? Um, you know, are, is it going to be you as developers requirement to um, to form the HOA and then eventually to hand that off to the to the home buyers? What does the school look like? Are there fees um, for the schools that have to be paid by you or your home buyers? Is it per lot? How does that work? Um, what are the comparisons uh, for resales in that area? Um, are there uh, what are just the end home prices to your buyers? Uh, is it marketable? Is it going to work? Is it pencil? So now let's talk timing, right? So how long does due diligence typically take and how does it affect the overall project timeline? Well, unfortunately, it depends, right? It depends on the scope of the investigation, the size of the property, and the complexity of the project, right? So as a general rule, due diligence can take anywhere from a few weeks. I would say that's pushing it for, for depending on the, if it's finished lots, maybe, right? Um, to several months to complete. So several months being this is raw farmland. It needs to be fully entitled. There's, you know, 200 acres, et cetera. So it's, it's just important to an, allow enough time for a thorough investigation as, you know, rushing the process could lead to overlooked issues, which could have a significant impact on the project's success. Um, if due diligence takes longer to, than expected or anticipated, it could delay the closing and subsequent development of the property. So if you live in an area, for instance, where snow or other extreme weather is an issue, then as you know, construction all but stops during some of these times. So it's very important to make sure your DD, your that's due diligence, your entitlements, your closing, your development timeline tracks. I mean, you don't want to close on property in December in Minnesota if you can avoid it. Uh, lastly, I, I want to touch on, touch on uh, in this podcast, the vertical construction component. So, you know, once you buy the property um, or if you buy and finish lots, let's say, for example, um, you know, vertical construction can be an entire episode, obviously, but I just want to touch on some of the legal uh, aspects that are related to vertical construction. So designing and construction, constructing single family homes involves several steps, including selecting an architectural style, analyzing lot fit determining setbacks and just designing the house itself. So let's talk setbacks. The setbacks are the distance between the property line and the home and are typically determined by zoning regulations. As we discussed earlier, they're you know laid out on the plat, right? So as part of your due diligence, uh, you need to look at the setbacks um, and make sure that the houses aren't too big for the lots. Even if the houses fit on the lot, you know, do they still work with the setbacks? How, you know, the five feet, 10 feet, 15 feet from the, from the lot lines. That just depends, right? Um, also, as you're part of your due diligence, and this is different, you want to perform a lot fit analysis. So a lot fit analysis considers the location of the home on the lot, the type of home, 
um, for that lot and how it will fit with the surrounding neighborhood. So you need to see the plat, you need to see the, see the setbacks, and you should have all your house plans available for a lot plat fit, fit analysis. So you might have five home models that you want to put into a certain uh, neighborhood, right? But only, let's say only three can fit on all of the sites. So are the two remaining home models needed? Are they there? Are they vanilla? Are they kind of similar to others? Um, or are they your biggest sellers? And can you only put your, your top sellers on half the lots? And is that, does this deal make sense if that's the case? So how will the lot fit analysis guide your design decision? Um, it's important. So speaking of design, uh, house design and review involve creating plans for the home's layout, exterior and interior features, and builders must ensure that the design meets building codes and other regulations while also meeting needs and desires of the home builder. So um, for instance, let's not forget, many developments might have CCNRs recorded against the property by the, the seller or a developing company say on lot fit uh, or excuse me, finished lot deals. So CCNRs are conditions, covenants, and restrictions, which may say you can't have this type of house in this property. Well, if that's all you're making and that's all you're building, that's going to be a problem, right? So you, you may also have an existing homeowners association. Uh, you might need a separate homeowners association just for your, say, 50 homes, but there might be a master HOA for the development. Um, it might be 500 homes. That master HOA, while you, you may control how the um, your specific, your, your HOA works for your 50 homes, if there's a master HOA, they may have a design committee um, or just the HOA, but th they might have a design review committee where they may wanna, might want to see the builder's home plans and they might need to approve those home plans. Do they require black shutters on uh, you know, all the houses? Do every, does every side of the house need to be wrapped with stone, right? Or is it just the front side or is it the front and both sides, but not the rear? You know, Things like that that need to be approved by the HOA or a design review committee are important. So it's really, to find, really important to find this out early in the DD process. So uh, I guess kind of in conclusion, like what we've just talked about was a lot. Um, it covered a lot of topics pretty quickly, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. So um, I think there's a lot more that we can discuss and we might in future podcast episodes. I'm looking forward to that already. So thank you for letting me talk about just some of the issues related to single family development. I'm already looking for the forward to the next deal, uh, the next podcast to talk more about some of these issues and to deep dive uh, further and hopefully into some of the contractually related uh, issues that pop up when negotiating a PSA, PSA or a purchase and sale agreement. So Thank you again. Uh, as always, invest wisely. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Diversification Podcast. Did you enjoy the episode? Visit www.rediversification.com to tune in to more exciting episodes and free information and tools that will help you succeed. Leave us a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and our other social media channels at the RED Podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Missouri Bar Advertising Disclosure. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.